Welcome to Logically Speaking, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges in cybersecurity with the top experts in their field. You're going to learn how to keep your data safe, your operations sound, and your business ready for whatever comes next. This is Logically Speaking. Today, we're, we're speaking, uh, we have the pleasure of speaking with Tiffany Ricks, uh, who is a former or a recovering ethical hacker, I guess we could say, a uh, former ethical hacker. Um, she's worked with companies to protect uh, them from phishing attacks and other malicious uh, attacks. Uh, she's led many simulated hacks and she has built a company uh, that serves that market to help prevent uh, breaches, data leakage, exfiltration, things of that nature. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm gonna start out by just asking you if you could share your experience in cybersecurity, uh, what led you to cybersecurity? Uh, I always find that um, some of my previous guests have very interesting paths that have led them into this phenomenal career that that we call cyber. So um, maybe maybe we could start there and talk a little bit more about that. About that. Awesome. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for having me and the Logically team. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, my journey started out at the time. My journey um, was very standard. The exciting time, the exciting part about being in cyber now is there's so many ways that you can get in, and you can. It's so broad and so vast. There's so many ways that you could contribute to try to solve this problem that we're solving for companies everywhere. But my path was through software. So I am a software engineer, went to school for that, um, uh, for trade. And then I got a job working for one of the big four uh, defense contractors. At the time, they were called L3 Technologies. And they worked with the Department of Defense. So they did contracts with the United States Air Force, United States um, Navy, where I worked, the Air Force, uh, we were on an Air Force base. And what I did was I would, I started out as a software engineer. And then um, as an engineer working for the government, that is one of, the, at that time, that was one of the top three cyber targets. And so as you're building for the government, they teach you that you need to make sure that your software is resilient which means you're looking at it from a, uh, from a secure coding standpoint, trying to make sure that you're not uh, creating bugs that could allow a cyber criminal to get access to that software and do harm. And so that sparked my curiosity into cybersecurity. Then I moved into security engineering, which was focused on making sure that we engineer software um, from a security standpoint and then moved into security research and then ethical hacking. And really that was where showing the, um, the military how cyber criminals could break into their infrastructure and then left, started a consultancy, which we had managed services as a part of our um, offering. Um, but working with companies of all sizes they wanted to know um, how a cyber criminal could target them, and they wanted to be prepared to make sure that if someone did target them, they had the infrastructure to protect themselves. And so my job was to try to break their system so they can rebuild and fix it. And the systems that were easy to break were our human systems, our people that were on the front lines doing their job, but easily accessible and you could send a phishing email to them, lure them in and lure them into giving you information that is closed and locked down behind some secure networks. And so I saw that that is a huge problem. It didn't matter the company size, the people were one of the easiest um, vulnerabilities. And what I wanted to do was build a software that can automate the uh, workflow of, of these phishing exercises, but really make it a data-driven approach. And so um, I built the Hackware platform to solve our internal problem in-house and then um, decided that this is a, a, pl a platform that can be used by many companies around the world. And so decided to uh, deploy that out and um, been, been having fun um, with this, solving this problem ever since. I, I love the fact that you said, you used the word curious, because I, 
Mm-hmm. I got into cybersecurity uh, what feels like ages ago, but I, I got into cybersecurity in the 90s. And it was a curious nature. Like I would look at systems or, or even machines and, and try to like see how I could take advantage of them and mm-hmm. circumvent certain things. And whether it was a computer, whether it was a payment uh, system, whether it was whatever it was, a security uh closed circuit system. How can I gain access just to play? Mm-hmm. It was more of a curiosity. Uh, and then also, you know, there was a part of me that was a generational paranoia that was passed down by my parents. Uh, mm-hmm. I grew up in New York City. And so you always walk around New York City as looking over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. I took those two things and and made a fantastic career out of it. So I, I love the fact that that you started out with talking about curiosity. Um, I wanted to ask you because um, I, I, my daughter, I have a, I'm a girl dad and, and I'm always encouraging my daughter. Um, I find that she apologizes often for when she asks for things from an employer that she believes she a deserves or that she feels like um, are due to her. And, and, and it's almost like societal pressure for for women and so i have to ask like have you ever faced that in cybersecurity and and how did you handle it I'm, I'm, i would love for our listeners to learn especially those who who maybe have daughters or are women trying to you know learn how to be successful in the industry what 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 kind of golden nuggets can you share with us this was a great topic because it took time and I definitely understand. And, and actually what helped me is sort of what you're doing for your daughter um, is that I had an ally. Um, I had a coworker. I had, uh, and I've always been the first. I've always been the first. I was the first in my family to go to college. I was the first um, to um, grow in corporate America. My family doesn't come from that, so they couldn't help me, but I'm glad that you can help your daughter. But what helped me was men, (laughs) Um, because I was the only woman in these rooms. It was those who actively helped me and then also me watching. Um, So I would watch how men would operate and how they would ask for certain things and how they would. um, And it was because they just knew that they had the confidence and the skills to uh, to go after that. And I think, so that was passively, but then I had great leaders who were men, who were champions, who sometimes saw things in me that I didn't see, who would tell me, I think when you, like, you, you want to make sure when you go for this review that you are um prepared so you go in there you talk about all the things that you have done do not be shy about it um come with facts and that and it's not a brag if it's facts so if you've done all of these facts you lay them out there and so that helped me switch my mindset because I think because I'm from the south um and because I am a woman and probably because I am black um bragging and trying to feeling like I needed to brag was something that just wasn't in me and I just didn't like the way I felt but when my leader told me just lay the facts out there I can I can do that I can lay the facts out there I can communicate all the great things that I have done and you can go check and find out and this is why I need to get this type of salary the facts are that this person at this salary makes this amount of money. And so I felt comfortable operating in that truth. So that kind of helped me in the beginning feel comfortable doing it. And now that I own my own company, I am that champion for my team members across the board. I am telling them, I, I, am, I'm, I am excited when I see women that are coming to me asking for what they deserve. And I know when they watch this, because in the meetings, I am smiling. (laughs) I am smiling because yes, I want to make sure that we are creating a culture where you, um, you should get what you deserve. You should feel confident doing that. And there's no shrinking and hiding because if the work that you're doing 
is facts is not a brag. Yeah. No, I thank you so much for sharing that. I I think when when we first met, I, I was sharing with you as as a Hispanic leader, mm-hmm. uh, business leader, I tried to bring about that same um, being that champion because I'm in a position that I can actually have some some uh, impact. And and I know that you know we're talking about cybersecurity, but in the realm of cybersecurity, I had a conversation with one of our um, uh, women employees recently who was asking for. Um, an increase. And I, I coached her, don't apologize for it. Mm-hmm. If you deserve it, we're going to get it for you. And it was this, I had to coach her to, it's okay to self-promote. Mm-hmm. Just like what you said, if you've accomplished these things and mm-hmm. by all means ask for it. So thank you for sharing that. I really, I really appreciate it. You know, I'm also, I like to pivot and, and talk a little bit about um, cybersecurity and the industry that you believe may need more investment, like from looking at the industries that have traditionally invested in cybersecurity, is there one industry that is lagging that you believe ought to invest more in cybersecurity? Like when you think about the industries like financial services, you think about retail hospitality, you think about manufacturing, oil and gas, you know, those verticalized industries which one do you feel needs more investment in protecting their infrastructures? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just did a talk on this. Um, I was at Black Hat and I kind of broke down, um, I broke down the attacker journey Mm -hmm. and I broke down the industries that they are targeting now. So when I got started, there was three big industries that cyber criminals targeted. They targeted the government, they targeted healthcare, and they targeted financial uh, institutions. Now what I'm seeing is there's a trend where finance institutions are at the top. So they're targeting financial institutions. They're at the top. They um, they have access to, to capital and um, data. And so they're at the top and that trend has not went away. And so companies who operate in that space definitely should be making an investment in cybersecurity and they should be looking at all levels of where they need to protect themselves because as I mentioned before the easiest level to gain access into an organization is through their people so they should be strengthening their people with continuous education but now we need to also look at um, when we talk about the network we need to make sure that the networks are resilient we need to make sure that if Uh, the financial industry, if they have applications inside of their systems, that those applications have been scanned for vulnerabilities and fixed. Um, And there's so many different layers that financial industry, fintech, they have to um, definitely make sure that they are continuously looking at their vulnerabilities and trying to mitigate that because bad actors are. Um, The other industries that I've seen that um, I saw that was a target was, believe it or not, software-based software companies, SaaS companies, they are um, a big target um, uh, this year. They're a big target. They're getting targeted quite free, quite frequently, and it could be that SaaS software companies are growing rapidly, so there's a lot of movement and change that's happening in these software companies. Um, although they are, um, they may have tech talent, tech talent, has been highly vulnerable, um, has caused more vulnerabilities than any other group because um, there's a little bit of, they are educated, but they're not taught in school about how to have a good cyber posture. Like that isn't taught at in engineering um, disciplines, how to be, how to have great cyber posture and how to build resilient applications. And so um, they make a lot of mistakes and cyber criminals are targeting them. Um, And then the other industries that I've seen um, uh, getting targeted is the, um, so a new one um, is there's a, there's organizations in, so organizations that focus on um, proprietary data like uh, tax tax organizations; those are getting targeted. Of course, the healthcare organizations are getting targeted. Um, and then there's some new entrants that came in at the start of the pandemic. Were companies that are are focusing on cryptocurrency, so they're getting um, targeted quite frequently. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of 
cyber criminals are definitely targeting industries that have access to um, financial resources. It could be data. We have cyber criminals that are hacktivists. Hacktivists. So what does that mean? If you are managing or if you are um, working for a potential po po political campaign, there are cyber, cyber criminals that will target your organization because they may not agree with your stance. Or if, you're, if you are protecting the cybersecurity and posture of a foundation, which could be doing some good in the world, there are hacktivists who don't care uh, about trying to steal the foundation's money. They're just trying to take those uh, that industry or that organization down. So there's a lot of motivations out there, but we have to make sure that we're diligent to know what our gaps are, which is what I love that what you all are doing. And it's a difference, it's a, it's a gap between knowing and doing. So we have to actually do, put those things into motion to protect ourselves. Yeah, I, I like the, uh, the point you made about uh, software developers and mm -hmm. SaaS companies because, and, and I look back on my career, I, you know, I started out um, programming back in the, in the mid nineties mm -hmm. and um, it was all about user interface, ease of use access. That's what developers, we, we want, we want that security wasn't even, was not even a thought or an afterthought. It was all about user experience and making sure that the application, you know, had access and, and it was fast and, and, um, I know that we've come a long way since then, but but you're right. I think that there's still that inverse relationship between access and security, and 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 that's a challenge in that industry. Um, what we have seen recently has, and you you touched on it with with fintech um, mm -hmm. and those softer targets that that we're starting to see um, law firms that specialize oh. in mergers and acquisitions become that soft target because the hackers can then get inside information that they can, you know, actualize on the stock market. And it's, um, we get a lot of law firms coming to us going, this is what we need. Uh, we're, we're very concerned about that IP, that intellectual property that our clients have. Uh, so it's re really great stuff. Let me, let me ask you about the impact because you, you work your, your your business is specific on you know um, protecting against phishing attacks and things of that nature and what are some of the unknown results and costs associated with a breach right can you speak to some of the unknown impacts of a, a breached or an impacted network due to ransomware or what have you because oftentimes uh, some of our listeners, think, well, it's just about getting back up and running. But then there's these ripples that I'm hoping that you could kind of clarify and, and these ripple effects of that impact. Definitely. Um, and this is a great question because you're right. Initially, we're thinking about this one moment in time, um, but also that one moment in time could be costly because that one moment of time of being down, what does that mean? If you are a hospital and you are down for uh, an hour, two hours, a day, three days, you have you could potentially have customers who are in life-threatening situations where they could lose, a loss of life could happen. Or we could have, um, the, the other impact is, Yes, financial loss. But the 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 other thing I'm thinking about is we what happens after a ransomware attack in, on the dark web is though that data once you pay that ransom and you believe you're made whole, the cyber criminal does not have although they may not use it, they are dumping that data six months later onto the dark web. And now this data could be used by another cyber criminal to go back. And so what I have seen is after a breach, yes, we have to notify if we're in a certain state, we have to notify um, the secretary of state that we've been through a breach. We have to, you know, make sure that we are putting, uh, doing the proper steps of making sure that we make our organization whole 
if we, you know, if we have to pay the ransom, we're paying our ransom. Um, and so that's a moment in time. But what I have seen is that organizations have left the hole open after they have paid the ransom. They have not closed that hole. Mm -hmm. And I can guarantee you the cyber criminal six months to 12 months later has dumped that data. Another bad actor is going to go back um, to this same organization and try it again. And if the door is left open, now we have another um, incident. And so, yes, the, the cyber criminals are going to go through, they're going to, if the, if the first time worked, they're going to try it again. And so that's the, that's the impact of once you've been a part of a breach, you're going to keep get consistently getting tried again. And then the other thing that I'll say from an end user perspective, because for me, cybersecurity, people have to make sure that they, uh, we're, we have to think about how does this affect me personally for us to really care and make changes. And so what I've seen is when we've had users who have been a part of a breach and their data has been um, compromised and it has been used in a, uh, where their identity has been taken. I have seen people go through so much work of trying to clear up their, uh, clear up these, these charges and clear up their credit and freeze their, um, their, uh, their, their social security account. I have seen them have to continuously battle with different creditors to tell them that it wasn't them and it was a cyber criminal. And these, and once that battle is done, as I mentioned before, the cyber criminal may go back to the organization, but a cyber criminal may also try again to take your identity again. And then the battle starts over again. And so you just want to make sure that you're thinking about this long-term because it could be a lengthy endeavor. It's not just that one moment in time that you're trying to resolve yourself from yeah it, it's you mentioned something that made me think of a quote um you mentioned about how the, they keep coming back and 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 it's you know i think it was i think it was the famous bank robber willie sutton who said when asked why do you rob banks he goes well that's where the money is mm -hmm. right <laughs> and and people ask well why do why do malicious act threat actors come back it's like because you haven't patched the hole. You haven't you haven't stopped. You haven't developed the countermeasures and the policies and procedures and set up the proper um, ways to detect and then mitigate that that threat. Mm -hmm. And and it's um, it's just uh, one of those things that uh, we can't educate this community enough. So um, really great points. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I want you to take out a crystal ball. And, and, and think about what's going to happen over the next five to 10 years. And uh, I won't hold you to this, but how do you think the cybersecurity threat landscape will change over the next five to 10 years? I mean, I've been doing this now 25 years. I would have never thought that we would be challenged with things like AI being used by malicious threat actors. Um, state sponsored because when I got into cybersecurity, the biggest threat was website defacements. Mm -hmm. uh, and so now we the, the threat landscape has evolved so quickly. Let's let's think about the future. What do you think the next five to 10 years will bring? On the bad actor side or on the on the um, bad actor side, yeah. I think so. I think we have to think about bad actors, just we have to think of them as you know, people like you and I. We are in um and we're we continuously evolve, we we continuously adapt, we're continuously curious. Um and we're always looking to find ways to um, improve. And so I think I, the, the, my, my mind, I think about bad actors as engineers who are just, they're, they're utilizing technology. For me, I love to use technology to solve problems, but for good. And I'm always, I'm excited. I'm always looking at what's new, what's interesting, and how can I use this tool 
to solve a problem that I'm trying to, that I've been trying to solve for a very long time. And so I think that we have a lot of great tools that these engineering bad actors have to solve their problem, which is they want to get access to, if their goal is to get access to data, I mean, to get, to get access to data, they have access to so much data. And so they're going to be using AI to be able to build these large data sets and to be able to have an intelligent, more of an intelligent understanding of how we operate as people, um, they will be able to surveillance us and have and be able to understand more about our trends. So if if we're talking about a big fish, which is some uh, a cyber criminal is targeting a high profile individual, then I see them utilizing machine learning to be able to pull data to understand this person typically goes to these different um, uh, locations and without them leaving their home. To, back, in, back in the day, you would have to have someone who would verify or you would have to be there to see that these are their trends, but we they would have access to data to understand how these people operate, where, where do they go, who do they talk to, build this profile, which is gonna allow them to make um, to allow them to get access to whatever data or information that they want. And so I definitely, you know, see cyber criminals using um, artificial intelligence to understand our trends and our patterns. I see them, uh, I see phishing evolving as it already has, where phishing is no longer about misspelled words and, you know, easily to identify, and someone you know, not speaking our language and we can identify that that is um, someone from somewhere else, we have large language models that can um, allow them to communicate with us without those cues. Um, and I just think it's going to continue to to um, to evolve and get better. I think for us as individuals, as, as AI evolves, I think we're going to move towards trying to find spaces in the physical space because we're not going to be able to trust if we're on this Zoom call that you haven't created a you know deep fake of me to be able to get on this Zoom call and talk to you and um, and so I think we're going to be moving more into as people trying to move more into physical spaces to try to make sure um, we're we're actually speaking to who we thought we were talking to. Yeah, you know it, it's interesting you brought that up because one of my previous guests we talked about that about podcasts and the webinars and these, mm -hmm. you know, especially during the pandemic, we were doing everything virtually and recordings and, and how quickly through AI, you could easily impersonate someone. Mm -hmm. And, and we're starting to see this trend. I see it in various uh, ways where um, folks will get scammed because it's the voice of someone mm -hmm that's actually calling them. So it goes yep. from a text to a voice to, mm -hmm. and um, it becomes harder and harder to uh, validate. And, and it speaks to, and, and we had a situation recently, you'll get a kick out of this, where um, our CEO texted me, allegedly, mm -hmm. from a brand new cell phone. Hey, <laughs> this is Josh. I got a brand new cell phone. Can you let me know that you got this? And of course, I screenshotted that and sent it the text to the actual cell phone, and we had a good kick out of it. And I was like, uh, "But imagine if I would have called that number and his voice picked up, yeah, and I would have gotten really confused." But it's mm -hmm. this culture that we um, are trying to foster that it's okay to question, and Fantastic. I think that that's the challenge because oftentimes new employees or field level employees will get a text from their CEO and snap to attention. Yep. And instead of questioning, uh, I had a client who actually uh, sent $50,000 in gift cards mm -hmm. to that person they thought was the CEO on the other line. Yeah. Uh, and so it's creating a culture where it's okay to question, slow down, Let's not rush into uh, and trying our best to to validate 
that that because it's becoming more and more challenging and it's it's frightening to me that someone could take my voice mm-hmm. and try to extort my mother-in-law who's 84 of money because she thinks you know i've been kidnapped or the police have me and i need bail money that those are some of the scenarios i've heard uh recently yeah but, i mean because it, and it's it's so much and you're public facing. So we have you on all of these podcasts <laughs> and then getting your voice, it, it's going to be easier and easier to, to, to pull off these types of, these types of uh, scams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm interested to know a little bit more about some of the creative approaches that you've taken to solve some of these tough cybersecurity problems, you know, um, when it comes to spear fishing or whale fishing, these, what are some of the ways that you're tackling those today? Great question. For us, it's a data-driven approach. Um, so we're using generative AI. Before it was a thing, um, we, we've used it to try to simulate how attacks are happening today. So as I mentioned before, um, uh, phishing emails, and we do phishing text messages as well, but they have moved past these misspelled words because cyber criminals are using chat GPT to generate these emails. And so what our platform does at Hackware is it mines and it finds these phishing emails. And then we have a classifier that will allow us to determine what type of phishing attack this is. And then what we're also doing is we're integrating into the email platform. And so we're trying to give our uh, customers' insights into understanding what are their six risky behaviors. Um, You talked about before about uh, the impact of a breach. We're trying to help you to understand what would the potential costs be with these six risky behaviors. Um, And so what our platform then does is it will generate a spear phishing uh, simulated email that's based off of attacks that are happening today versus what happened a quarter ago or a year ago. We're making it 100% automated where we can test these users with this type of uh, spear phishing. Everyone gets a spear phishing simulation versus um, the reason why I, I created this platform is because I just didn't have the time. And so I would only have time to create a spear phishing simulation for 10% of the population. And that was typically the C-suite or it was where the money was, which, which was in the accounting team. And the rest of the department got generic phishing emails and they went out at the same time. But what I've done with this platform is we're looking at when is the best time to send this email to you as an individual? What is the best content to train you on? Um, And then we're also looking at insights on have you been a part of a breach before um, that's on the dark web? Our platform will simulate um, and impersonate that brand to see have you closed the doors? Have you um, are you suspiciously looking at emails that are coming from this brand, knowing that your information is on the dark web? Uh, so we're continuously automating and testing, and then we train the user on what they need to learn in three minute or less videos to change their risky behavior. So we're trying to make it super Great. easy for security teams to 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 train their human human. I love that. I love that. I, I've got I've got a couple of follow up questions that are running through my mind here, um, because uh, in in my past we've done ethical hacking and and, mm-hmm. and designed some of these campaigns um, as well. And, and I'm always wondering um, what percent. There's always in in my experience, there's always a percentage of people that will click on a link, no matter what you teach them, no matter what the stick or the carrot is. Um, but in your experience, what percentage is that? I mean, it is a hundred Of the continuous clicker, clickers? Yeah, yeah. I think it depends on um, the level of the fish because they, they could also, um, it, de- it depends on, cause we have three levels. So on a, phishing level, which is a generic phishing, uh, phishing email that has, that casts a wide net for everyone to try to try to see who's going to respond and lure, um, for those repeat offenders, I typically will see, um, 
typically around, it depends on the organization, but I'm going to say between five to to 10%, I see repeat, uh, repeat offenders on those. Um, but I've also worked with organizations who have come up with different programs to try to get them to understand the why, why this is important, how to create that pause, um, uh, how to create this relationship with the security team where um, the reason why we're doing this is because we want to make sure that we create an environment where you know what to do if an attack happens. And even if you make a mistake and you click on something, trying to educate the team on what to do after that versus being afraid of communicating with your security team and you've uh, clicked on a link and you're exposing your organization to a malware um, outbreak, but you're just going to be quiet and not say anything. That's not helping right. the organization either. Yeah, no, it's it's all really great uh, points. Is 100% compliance a realistic goal? Of... Um, Making sure that no one clicks on, I mean, is that even realistic or is it 95% realistic, you know, and then you just mitigate for the other five? Do you, you know, how, how do you? It depends on how long you have that, um, you have that 100% compliance, because that could be also an indicator that your users have, it's like going to the gym, your users have gotten their bodies have gotten comfortable and adapted to this layer where they're not growing anymore they're just um they're just uh going with the flow they're not being challenged to go to that next level and for us as people we have to continuously understand that we're we're here to continuously grow and evolve and when we're at a level where we have 100% compliance and this is happening over two to three campaigns, depending on how frequently you're, uh, you're having campaigns, then you should look that as, a, as an indicator that I need to make some changes. I need to shock the system and try to move to our next level of security maturity because we've already hit a certain level of maturity and it's not good to stay there. That, that's, wow, that's, that can be a whole nother podcast is this mindset of... Mm -hmm continual growth right um like i i do my very best to educate our our customers that that security is not a point in time destination mm -hmm. right because if you view it that way then you're going to buy a product you're going to buy a software and you're going to think that you're safe and and realistically it's more of a journey and it's it's never really a sprint it really is a marathon and you've got to stay in this and constantly evolve with, because the threats will continue to evolve. Um, and and that, that is, you know, that is the challenge, I think, uh, in educating the community. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to shift and maybe talk a little bit about the insider threat and what your experience has shown you um, on how to handle it. And I think there are two things. One is, is the malicious insider threat that is looking to purposely do harm to a business operations and then there's the simple what we call misuse like like innocent misuse um i'm not talking about that i'm talking about that like the malicious how, how does how does your experience how do you handle something like that like an insider who is ma maliciously trying to either steal information or cause harm to an organization yeah, this one is is definitely one where um, it's all about creating, you, you have to create, the security team definitely wants to make sure that they're keeping an eye on this, but it's also important too to communicate with the entire organization where, because security uh, is getting lean, um, security has a lot to manage and they can't be omnipresent and everywhere. And so it's really important to make sure that we're educating everyone to understand what to look for in an insider threat. Like your coworkers should be trained on um, looking out for people, for coworkers who are in places that they shouldn't be or in systems, get trying to get access to systems uh, that they their job, as I work for the military, they don't have a need to know. They don't have a need 
to know and to have access to this data, but they want you as a coworker to give them access or they're asking for um, data that you have access to for you to email it to them and they have no reason for their to be able to do their job successfully to have that. So you have to train your team members to look out for that, to be able to also create a pause and ask this coworker, is this something that you need? Why do you need it? Um, and then, uh, and it's really important as well, just to, to, just to make sure that we're, we're creating this culture of, I want to make sure that I am protecting, it's not about me ratting out a coworker, but we all are here to do a job. I need to make sure that I'm not putting my company and myself at risk by letting this coworker gain access to information that they need that could potentially harm our company and my livelihood. And so it just, I think what's really important is just to train all coworkers on what to look out for um, insider threats. And then the other insider threat, I think, is sometimes the security security team, we have to make sure that we are creating an environment where our employees know how to be successful with cybersecurity. And um, sometimes when an organization has a negative um, reinforcement strategy, when an employee makes a mistake with phishing or just different or, or handling data, they made a mistake by emailing um, company proprietary data to a, a, a third party, I think it's, it could also create an insider threat when we're not communicating to these employees about why we have these policies in place, how, what role they have in place, what could negative, what could be the negative outcome if they don't follow these policies, if there's a negative reinforcement type of culture. Um, so we don't have disgruntled employees that are upset who feels like their security team is out to get them. And now they are going to potentially create, make, make things um, tough for the security team by, you know, clicking on links intentionally because they're upset. That That's an interesting thought. I, I, I hadn't, I, in all honesty, have not considered the security team as a potential, you know, Yes, as an insider threat, but like that they could cause an insider disgruntled because that, you know, uh, employee satisfaction is an indicator of whether or not you have someone that is either protecting your data and, mm -hmm. and being a good steward of that data or is loosey goosey and will leave their laptop on the front seat of their car as what they go out to lunch. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and so those things are, yeah, that. That's a great, I hadn't really thought about that, but that is a, a really good, uh, you know, topic. And I, thank you for, for mentioning that. Um, you know, I, I would like to ask what you might be seeing or your team might be seeing with respect to emerging threat vectors now in the threat landscape. Is there anything that is of particular interest that's an emerging threat that that could be uh, that should be considered here. Yeah, I think um, just thinking about what is happening today um, that is emerging. Um, so there was a there, and this is regard with regard to phishing. But during the pandemic, there were phishing um, attacks that would they were on the trend of you made this purchase, it was a big purchase, it was from a brand, and they were just trying to shock you into, you know, um, complying and, and, and reaching out and saying you didn't make this purchase or clicking on the link to say you didn't make the purchase. So that was a trend in 2020. But now I see that they are doing more hybrid phishing, which what you alluded before, alluded to before, which means they are bringing back that trend of saying that you made this purchase from a brand, but they are also following it up, sending you an email, following it up with a call from the same number that's in that email and acting as if they're, they're that brand, trying to, trying to make sure 
you know, you made this purchase or you didn't make this purchase and trying to create urgency around that. Um, so seeing that happen, I think the other trends I'm seeing is definitely cyber criminals are using chat GPT as a way to make their emails a little bit harder um, to spot. And then um, smishing, smish, text message-based phishing is more disarming. So I see um, more cyber criminals using that as a way to lure people in. And then yes, the emerging trend um, is that we're doing more vishing, voice um, simulated mm. attacks, and that is when they are using um, uh, when they are using your voice or something to sound like your voice to try to uh, pull off their attack. And then outside of phishing, I think the the other thing that we're seeing is just cyber criminals are trying to look for weak supply, weak chains in the supply uh, supply chain, and so. Yes trying to figure out this organization, where they fit within to help them get access to this big fish. And so they're potentially going to target, like you said, a law firm. So a law firm who has access to a lot of M&A information and lawyers, as I talked about engineers, um, lawyers are a big target um, because they get a lot of outbound information. They have a lot of uh, data that is sent to them. They have to be accessible to their email, but also they have a high education, like they're very educated. And so you have to train lawyers differently with new content um, bite size because they're busy in order for them to be able to uh to get the security awareness training that they need, they need that's t- tailored to them. Yeah, no, that's a great point because you mentioned healthcare earlier, mm-hmm. and it leads me to um, physicians, yep. surgeons. These are yeah. these are the. I mean, they're brilliant. They're mm-hmm. they're highly intelligent, but they're also uh, apologize to any of your listeners who are they're prima donnas. Right. I, I, I was going to say that, but I was gonna, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> they're, they're, the, they're the money makers for the healthcare system. So they want ease of use. Mm-hmm. And when you know that inverse relationship between ease of use, like we mentioned before in security, the easier it is to use, the less secure inherently oftentimes it is. Mm-hmm. And, and our healthcare clients, they're challenged with that because the doctors want a certain level of access. They want access to things. They want. They don't want to have to remember or to have to change passwords. They they don't want to have to be restricted in what they can send and what they can't send. And um, it patient privacy. You've yeah. got uh, security concerns, HIPAA concerns. All of these things kind of come into play, and it sometimes can encumber their patient care. And so yeah. making it easy while securing it is a challenge in that industry. I know that kind of firsthand with some of our clients, but you know, what you mentioned is, is really, really important. Um, you know, I think, I think about how um, threats evolve mm-hmm. and we are constantly in this cat and mouse kind of game, if I can call it a game, it's, it's, so, it's, it's much more important than that, but it feels oftentimes like we are reactive. If you could give our listeners like two or three recommendations to try to get ahead of the next kind of wave, what would they be? Like if they could accomplish two to three things by the end of the year and feel like this would absolutely help me be more secure and prevent phishing attack, ransomware, breach, what what would those two to three things be? The two to three things... Um, and I think these two to three things are what could help across it's it's been a test of time. Like this is a cla- these are classic things that I think can help it has helped organizations in the past if they've done it right. And if they do this in the future, I feel like they um will be able to be able to manage some of the evolving threats. But first thing um, and foremost is you want to make sure that you are continuously training your people on the evolving threats because this is a uh, a 
um, and a, this is a area that is continuously changing. These, as we mentioned, I call them engineer bad actors. They're continuously changing their attacks. Um, they're looking for opportunities to win. And so we need to continuously educate our employees, our end users on what's happening today. Um, and so it is like we are um, behind, but when we're when we are at war, we have to understand our attackers. Like we have to understand our opponent, understand our opponent. We have to understand what are they doing now? Um, what did they do in the past? What are they emerging and doing potentially in the future? We have to understand our opponent to be able to prepare ourselves on how we're going to move forward. Um, so education is key. Um, and then also because we are in different systems, having a password manager, a password strategy that you're continuously improving and evolving, um, having a password manager um, and then the, the master key that you're using, if you're not continuously updating that, working with your security team to update different policies around um, safeguarding passwords is uh, something that continuously should be looked at. And then the last and final thing is looking at device security, like understanding the devices that our users have. These devices will continuously evolve, but the systems that our users are using, we want to make sure that we're continuously updating those with what we have. But, um, you know, the thing that I always tell people is that we, we're, we, because we are on the good side, we can't do what bad actors are doing. Like we can't, you know, simulate a phishing simulation that's going to take down our customer's network and have them online <laughs> for, for days. Um, and so we have to operate within the within the environments that we we can and continuously train um, to do that. And we can't when we're sending a phishing simulation, we can't send things that are going to make a promise to people that they're going to get a raise or some incentives. So we can't. I would say another word, but we can't um, create an environment where our employees are upset with us after the um, fishing and training exercise, because that could create a whole sabotage type of a environment after that. So we have to think about, you know, those are the three things that I, I think organizations should do and continuously evolve. But we also have to we, we also have to operate in this environment where we're not the bad actors. We can't be like them, but we have to know what they can do and prepare ourselves to try to uh, make sure that we don't fall victim to them. That is great. And, and Tiffany, thank you so much for your time. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. That's all for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time to Logically Speaking and stay cyber first and future ready.